following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. Christianity has become known for judgy people, strange words, ancient stories, confusing rules, and a members-only mindset. This is why I stayed away from the church for so long, but it's not supposed to be that way. I'm Jill Devine, a former radio personality with three tattoos, a love for a good tequila, and who's never read the entire Bible. Yet, here I am hosting a podcast about faith. The Normal Goes a Long Way podcast is your home for real conversations with real people using real language about how faith and real life intersect. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Ben. Let's go ahead and pick up where we left off from last week. It's interesting that they were set against this this absolute ruling that you were talking about because if if Hans was was born in Germany in 1899, well, he was born under an authority, uh, an authoritative ruler then because Germany was under a king, right? And so that's interesting that it seems like his his attitudes had shifted when it came to absolute power and that sort of thing. Maybe I, I'm wrong here, but um, he grew up in a monarchical system anyways. But what I'm really curious about is, you know, you mentioned he was at a rally with Hitler. It sounded like in the, in the twenties or thirties, but how did his politics change? Was he on various sides? Was he figuring himself out? during that interwar period before coming down on this position that we now know him for historically? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, so as, as far as the King's thing goes, uh, there's a great book called uh, The Guns of August by Barbara Tuchman. And she, uh, she has this really interesting scene at the beginning of the book in 1914. This is before Franz Ferdinand uh, gets, gets assassinated. Um, the uh, a, a ruler in uh, Austria. Uh, so uh, the scene is there are all these kings of all these different countries uh, uh, and and kind of people groups, right? So there's the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the British Empire and the uh, Ger- German Empire and uh, the, the Prussian Empire and all of these uh, a bunch of these kings. Are kind of riding in a parade at the at the beginning of this book, um, and Tuchman basically points out that um, nothing like this would ever happen again. Uh, so World War One was basically the end of uh, kings being rulers over states or nations or countries in the the West, and what comes after uh, World War One is um, new new systems of, I mean, this is ultimately what World War I is, is about, creating a, a new system that's based on choice and uh, democracy is a, is a much more important thing, um, becomes a much more important thing, especially in, in Western Europe. Uh, so so uh, by the time Hitler comes to power in, in the 30s, there, there isn't a, a king um, but more of a um, somewhat democratically elected uh, uh, leader. These two guys, these, these pastors in Germany, you had you mentioned Bonhoeffer and, and we have Hans here. You mentioned that, that Hitler at that point and the, and the government was, was taking stances against the church, right? Uh, proposing ideologies, proposing things that these pastors felt went against their beliefs. 
I'm curious what exactly those things were because in the early 30s, you know, this is not the 1940s. And so I am actually not super familiar with how Hitler's uh, agenda and how the government's programs had developed. So what were they specifically opposing at that time? That's a great question. I'll get to that in a second. You also mentioned this kind of uh, Hans being at the same rally as as Hitler um, and what was what was all going on. We don't have a lot of uh, writings from him at the time, but um, I, I think there were there were lots of there were lots of protests and there was a lot of craziness because as these as these systems of government kind of collapsed, people were trying to figure out, well, what's next? And it, and it uh, just like in our day today, nobody really knows um, what's what's next, what's going to be next um, in their day. They didn't know um, what would what would happen. They certainly didn't know that World War Two was coming. Um, and so uh, I think a lot of the citizens of the country were just um, trying to figure out, you know, liberalism, uh, conservatism. Uh, there, there were a whole bunch of new movements popping up. And so one of the big movements popping, well, some of the big movements popping up had to do with, with liberalism. Um, so being, being much more open with uh, in matters of sexuality, uh, in, in matters of uh, substances, um, lots of experimentation with uh, drugs and alcohol. And um, there were people that were definitely advocating for a really open uh, system. And um, the, the, there were a lot of uh, communist Marxists that were, uh, that were advocating for a centralization of government uh, that would kind of uh, bring power to the, the, the lower classes of people. Um, you certainly had capitalists uh, vying for, um, for, for capitalism above all else. Uh, and so Hitler comes in and he really doesn't like uh, liberalism. He really hates the big problems in society are, are kind of raging liberalism. He imposes uh, a number of laws on uh, homosexuality and um, his big thing uh, that probably most people know about is he takes some very uh, defined stances against uh, the Jewish people as a race. Um, so, so there's a, it was called the Jewish paragraph, and it was a paragraph that was inserted basically into the Constitution that said anybody that uh, is of known Jewish race of any kind of um, if your parent or grandparents or great parent grandparents were, were known as Jews, you, you would not allowed to be in any government position, you know, for us today, we think, oh, well, government position, like, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a few people that work for the government. Um, I don't know a lot of people that work for the government, but back in those days, um, the governments in Germany had, the government in Germany had uh, oversaw all pastors and and all official church workers. Um, they oversaw a lot of uh, uh, who owned businesses, and so um, so this this really cut through like every level of society. Um, imagine if if in America you just said 
anybody of a certain ethnicity is no longer able to um, to do any of those jobs anymore, uh, how tumultuous that would be. Uh, for example, if if uh, if somebody said, well, you know, if you're of uh, well, if you're of German origin, how about that? Uh, or if you're of Hispanic origin, you automatically lose all of your lose your job. You cannot work any longer. That was the kind of tumultuous uh, thing that was going on. And Hans's uh, Hans's uh, uh, wife was uh, was was Jewish. Uh, she she had uh, some Jewish ancestry, and so um, so that was that was a challenge for his wife. Uh, he he himself was was not officially deposed for those reasons because he spoke out against this um, theologically, um, especially as it was imposed on the church and on people who serve in the church, um, that really began to draw uh, attention to, to Hans. And so um, he starts getting put in prison. Uh, he, he gets, he eventually gets, gets fired uh, from his, from his role um, in the in the the university um, in in 1933, and so then uh, he eventually starts a, a little seminary, much like Dietrich Bonhoeffer does in Finkenwalde. Hans starts kind of a his own little teaching seminary, um, and uh, he's he's just trying to um, continue to keep the name of Jesus out there. Uh, even as he's trying his best to um, to give his opinions on what he thinks should happen and why theologically he had um, such significant problems with, for example, the the Jewish paragraph. So that's that's really what intrigues me. What was he taking a stance against? There were some Christians that basically said, "Hey, we like Hitler. Um, he's kind of cleaning up Germany." He's uh, he's he's on our side. Uh, some Christians thought because he was against some things that uh, Christians had had uh, said are are really not uh, helpful, uh, are are sinful, and so they they thought that some people thought some Christians thought that Hitler was on their side, and there there was a, a growing kind of anti-Jewish sentiment, anti-Semitic sentiment. Uh, among a lot of Christians, unfortunately, um, that had been brewing for for a, a long while in Germany. Um, but so these these Christians, uh, especially theological leaders, began to say, if Hitler says something, it is our responsibility to follow him, and we should not, under any circumstances, uh, push back or criticize um the, the, the ruler, uh, the Führer. And you can imagine uh, anybody that's gone through uh, confirmation and has studied uh, Luther's small catechism uh, and especially studied the fourth commandment, honor your father or mother, uh, knows that Luther interprets the, the command, honor your father and mother, uh, to mean you, you should really obey all authority. And, and so um, that included the government. Of course, a simplistic reading of that would say, well, we have to honor Adolf Hitler because he is making laws and 
Um, so we just have to do what he says. But but I don't think that that's that's not necessarily what uh, a simplistic reading is. I think uh, not what Luther meant by that. Luther was quite aware of uh, the the passages in uh, the New Testament where uh, the apostles say things like we must obey God rather than man. So so when uh, when rulers uh, told Christians that they weren't allowed to, to speak the name of Jesus in the book of Acts, the apostles pushed back against those leaders. Um, they, they disobeyed those leaders, even, you know, it, whether that was the breaking of the fourth commandment or not, they said, when it comes down to it, we have to obey God rather than man. And so Hans was really, was really torn ab- about this. Nobody, I mean, Bonhoeffer was as well, um, Bonhoeffer thought it was a sin, basically, that he was uh, pushing back against uh, against Hitler. Um, it's obvious to us now on this side of history, but uh, Bonhoeffer and, and Hans, they, they saw it as their duty to essentially stand up with the apostles and say, no, no, we have to obey God rather than man. And so then they had to articulate reasons why sometimes it's okay for Christians to to stand up to the government and to speak one's mind, not in a, a flippant way or not in a, a mean, hate-filled way, not in a partisan uh, politics like we have Republicans and Democrats today. It's not just take the side of one over against the other. This is a we must obey God not man kind of thing. Um, and so is it okay? Must Christians do that? And Hans and Dietrich Bonhoeffer both said, yeah, there are times where Christians have to stand up and speak their mind. Was there a particular line or a moment that they said, we, we just cannot go with what this guy's saying anymore? I think it was essentially when Hitler uh, started telling the church what it could and could not do especially when when Hitler began to uh, remove people from office, uh, when he began to uh, uh, tell the church that uh, kind of what its talking points are. Martin Luther um, also uh, pushed back against some uh, people in authority. Uh, We know that uh, he he said, so the story goes, um, and I think that it's probably accurate. He says, here I stand, I can do no other. And he says that to the, the emperor, the, the leader of the Holy Roman Empire. Where's the line? I, I think it's, it's any time where a ruler would speak against the word of God. Um, and and what, what Hans really wants to do is create a theology that, that speaks to society uh, and speaks to things going on in the government. Um, and, and I think Hans agrees with Luther that theology is just saying what God says and Christians ought to always be able to say they are hearing and what they are seeing as they, uh, encounter the scriptures, as they encounter Christ, um, as they, as they're, they're moved, uh, to, to proclaim Jesus in our world today, that talking about Jesus can't be banned. So Christians should stand up for their neighbor 
and they should speak theologically about what the Bible says that we are to do and what we are not to do. We should push back on anybody that tells us we can't talk about our faith and what the, the Bible says. I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's really connected what he was doing to those 8th century prophets who were calling out the kings of Israel and saying, you quit with the injustice, quit with the evil, right? I mean, that is how much of the Old Testament is is the people of God calling out the governments for doing things they shouldn't be doing. Um, yeah. But he, here's a, a question I've really wanted to get to. So the, these German pastors, right, you said that the, the line for them was when Hitler started coming in and, and, and basically ordering the church around. And so they were in this position of, okay, now his positions are affecting us in our jobs. And sometimes in life, right, it, the, the, the things that are going wrong don't affect you until they affect you, or they don't spur you on to movement until they affect you personally. Um, I'm wondering for these guys, or maybe more importantly, I'm actually wondering for us, we are told a lot of times since we have a vote in this country that we see our role as voting for us and voting for ourselves and voting for our values first and foremost. Nothing wrong with that. But what is the point when your neighbor's values stir you to vote more than your own values or not even your neighbor's values, your, your neighbor's humanity and your neighbor's needs? Um, I think... I'm so used to seeing a Christian's voice in government being used to support Christian things, which are good, yeah. right? It's good to support the stuff that we support. But what do we do when, when the person being affected first and foremost is our neighbor and we're kind of doing okay? There's, there's, this, there's this great story that Jesus tells, right, um, that uh, a certain man was was going down uh, or going going up um, and to to Jerusalem and uh, and he gets he gets beat up uh, by some by some uh, some bad uh, dudes and, uh, and I know they, this they one. Him. I do. I yeah, know this one. This, you've heard this story, right? Um, the it it's one of the I think it's one still one of the most uh, well known stories of the new testament uh because we even have laws in america that are named after it right we have the good oh, samaritan yeah. law um which essentially means hey if you stop to help somebody on the side of the road that's in trouble and you do your your level best uh you probably shouldn't be punished uh for for trying to help your neighbor um so so jesus tells this story about this guy gets beat up um all these religious people uh, walk past him, right? Uh, and and then a Samaritan person comes, and uh, the the Samaritan would have been uh, seen as kind of uh, probably uh, much like what uh, I don't know. He would have been a a very uh, unwelcome guest among uh, some Orthodox Jewish people. Uh, who are following the, the the ways strictly following the ways of of uh, the Old Testament, and um, I think Jesus knew that uh, using the example, making the Samaritan the hero of his story, was going to be really offensive. But Jesus asked this question: 
who of the people that walked past the 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 guy that got beat up who who was the the person that showed mercy and he asked that question um which the the obvious answer is this samaritan he asked that question because he had been asked the question who is my neighbor and i think uh there's a, there's a great philosopher, um, Ivan Illich, who uh, talked about the, the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. And, and he said that oftentimes when people preach about the, the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, they love to talk about what we should do or how we should help our neighbor. But the real question of that parable is, who is my neighbor? What Christians really need to think about is, who, who is our neighbor, right? The obvious answer of like help our own is not what Jesus was getting at with that parable. Our neighbor is the person that we most fundamentally disagree with. Uh, maybe even the person that we've come to hate because of their position on something or how they voted or or um, what stance they've taken and we just see their stance is deplorable. That's our neighbor. Yeah. Pretty countercultural. Pretty, pretty challenging words, actually. 100%. Yeah. And this guy's not even coming from his neighborhood. I think that's the other thing, is this guy's coming from a whole other country. Across the river uh, is a term we use in St. Louis. Right? <laughs> yeah. And we see our neighbors as those who are on my side of the river, whichever you, whichever side of the Missouri River you're on. And I think Jesus would encourage us to see ourselves as being neighbors of even those people that don't live next to you. Or didn't go to your high school. That's the other one. Uh, yes. Right. For reference, that is a total yeah. St. Louis thing. If you're not from the St. Louis area and you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that is totally here. Where did you go weird. to high school? I love yeah. it. I think we are just so used to seeing our voice as being for our stuff. Yeah. And, and asking what are my neighbor's needs, it's got to be in the question. But I, I don't think it can just be, well, what's best for my neighbor is what's best for me, right? The, the positions I have, I hold them because they're what's best for my neighbor. I, I don't know if that's always the attitude to take. The Samaritan, if you think of the Samaritan, it costs the Samaritan a ton of money. And, and uh, Yvonne Illich points out that... Um, the Samaritan was specifically not helping someone of his own ethnicity um, and, and wasn't helping someone that was of his own tribe. It not only wasn't going to benefit him, it might even harm him. But Jesus' point is kind of, uh, who is your neighbor? And I, I think he wants us to, to think really long and hard about that. And especially in a divided age like we live in, it's so hard to see... Uh, the next door neighbor who has a sign in their yard that we don't like, it's really hard sometimes to look them in the eye and say, uh, how can I, how, how can I serve you? Or how can I help you? Or uh, how can I care for you? I'm just thinking about one very short section of, of Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity. And, and it's probably a part you've heard before, but he talks about specifically the way Christians responded during a time of plague in the Roman Empire, and everyone else, the, the pagans, the non-Christians, moved away. They they went to go seek their own safety if they had the money, right? We're going to go out of the cities, out of the towns, and into our private villas, private spaces to protect ourselves. 
the Christians were the ones that stayed behind at the expense of their own health and safety to provide yeah. care for the people that couldn't afford to move away, Christian or pagan. Yeah. And he ties that in very tightly to that being an important reason that the church rose the way it did, that Christians, when faced with a threat to their safety, said, we're not going to move away. We're not going to move out west. There's a St. Louis thing for you to, to reference. We're not going to move out west. We're going to stay here with our neighbors. And I just, the very, all I can say is that challenges me and my own set of values, the way they stayed. And these pastors in Germany seem to, to embody that themselves. Yeah, at one point, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was uh, he came to America. He actually, uh, he actually walked across uh, the campus of Concordia Seminary at one point. Oh, no way. Uh, he wasn't impressed, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's a story for another day. Uh, Bonhoeffer had come to America. He was studying in, in New York. Uh, he he is he had kind of gotten out of Germany um, partly for for safety reasons, partly for kind of continuing education, and um, and when things really got bad, um, Bonhoeffer was 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 loving it. He was hanging out with uh, with folks in Harlem, and um, he was just so uh, he was so blown away by the faith of the black church and uh, and the the, the lively. Uh, living out of their faith that that he saw in Harlem, uh, but when things got really crazy in Germany, he said, uh, "I've I've got to go back uh, because I can't take refuge away from away from problems." I I actually you know it's heroes run in right. Uh, that's what that's what Bonhoeffer did, and I think that that's what Hans did. Hans Hans. Uh, eventually moves to Dortmund, um, this, this town and, uh, becomes a pastor and he gets, he gets thrown in jail and he's in jail for, he's in jail for months. And, uh, he, he kind of refuses to, to give up, um, his position that, that, uh, Hitler and the Nazi regime were, were evil. And so, uh, you know, Kristallnacht, uh, the night of, uh, happens in 1938 when uh when when the nazi uh army the ss troops came into jewish homes and broke all their crystal and uh, and and began putting people uh in in concentration camps hans uh is speaking up then more than ever and uh and gets gets thrown in jail um because he he simply will not Stop talking about Jesus and talking about uh, what's right and what's wrong, and uh, speaking up for the church, uh, having uh, a right to to uh, speak to society. Well, if anyone does want to purchase your hundred and five dollar book <laughs> or get a hold of you, Ben, where should we send them? And we'll have this on the show notes at normalgoesalongway.com. Yeah, I mean, they could send an email to me at helpedbe at csl.edu, my, uh, my, my seminary email address. Um, they could uh, find me on Twitter uh, at Ben Haupt or at uh, Facebook. I would, I'd love to uh, 
I'd love to, to chat more, answer questions. Um, so yeah, you can put my you can put my email address in your uh, in your show notes. We appreciate you coming on and taking so much time with us, and we will make sure to do that. Get that on normalgoeslongway.com. And thank you for the history lesson. I know that this was really good for me to hear, and I also was excited that I knew a Bible verse and story. So we will also have that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's an honor to be to be on the show. Uh, Jesus' word um, is so timely, and um, and and Jesus as uh, our Savior is is uh, so so timely for just such a time that we're living in now. Uh, he has uh, so much forgiveness, so much grace, so much love, so much wisdom. Uh, so. Glad to, glad to be on the show and to talk a little bit about it.